St. John of the Cross in the 16th century wrote a poem called The Dark Knight. This was long before Batman, by the way. It depicted somebody walking through the night to find their beloved and finding joy even in that darkness and in that unknown. And it became, for many, a metaphor of the dark nights that we have in our souls. Uh, even the dark night of the soul kind of birthed out of this poem. For those times in our life when, it, when things feel dark, we wonder if God is even there, or we pray and there's no answer, we, we're hurting and there's no, there's no healing, we're sick and there's no cure, we're lost and there's no directions, darkness, dark night of the soul. A pastor, I, I heard a sermon once from a pastor, um, he said that we'll probably all experience at some point in our life the dark night of the soul. The first time I ever experienced anxiety was when I was in high school. It seemed that my growth into manhood resulted in these paralyzing anxiety attacks. I'd get sick to my stomach. I'd be bent over in my bed. I wouldn't be able to think clearly. I'd be tired and just unwilling to be around people. So I'd either fake it, which I was pretty good at, or I'd just disappear and be by myself. More often than not, I'd just fake it. Um, probably not very well, but I was in high school. Everyone else was faking it, so I probably fit right in. These attacks were set off by a number of different things. For one, I, I couldn't handle failure. Um, anytime I failed, especially when it was in a way I couldn't foresee or guess ahead of time, you know, if I failed unexpectedly, and I don't know if there's any other kind of failure, honestly, it would just ruin me. But also in relationships, any sort of intimacy, if someone got close, especially dating relationships. I remember uh, talking to a friend in college about these experiences of what it felt like in my body. My body would get sick, and I, would sh I was talking with my friend. There's something terribly beautiful about saying something out loud um, to someone. And when I did, he didn't have to say anything in return. I knew, I knew at that point, just by naming it, just by talking it out loud, I knew that I, was ex that I had been experiencing anxiety attacks. Relationships caused the most anxiety, paralyzing anxiety. So in my brokenness, I would do the same thing every time when I was dating someone. If I, I didn't want to break up with them. Um, uh, I didn't want to date up with, break up with most of the girls I dated, but, but I also didn't know how to deal with this anxiety of being in a relationship. And so I'd just be miserable and horrible, and, and then the girl would eventually break up with me. And I did this over and over again. A few years after college, though, I finally met Alyssa. And the problem with Alyssa was that she was convinced we were supposed to be together. And, and I was far enough in my own sort of mental health journey that I was able to at least tell her, at least name, you know, this, what I'm experiencing is an anxiety. It's not personal. It's not always logical. And, and Alyssa can be stubborn. I don't know if you know this about her. And she wasn't going to leave me or break up with me just because I'd get cranky. And so she stuck around, and she stuck around long enough that I was able to work through at least the surface-level anxiety, get to a place. And, and honestly, realizing that she was willing to put in the work was one of the biggest reasons I asked her to marry me. Poor Alyssa, though, our, our dating years were pathetic on my part. Uh, she didn't get a romantic story unless, unless you consider sacrificial, selfless love romantic, which I do. Eventually, I got on, onto medication, uh, but I never went and saw a counselor. The closest thing I had to a counseling session was a psychological profile required by my denomination. They want to make sure pastors aren't crazy <laughs> or how crazy they are. Before uh, uh, we had to do this profile, and, and during this assessment, a number of red flags were raised. Uh, the, the, the therapist felt like I was, in simple terms, putting on a show, pretending I was healthier than I was, so to speak. Uh, they weren't red flags, though, enough to keep me from ministry. And so ministry and marriage were possible for me. Um, 
And on the outside, I think in some way I was doing well at both, uh, especially ministry. I had early success in ministry. I've been a pastor since 2011, and I was in ministry before that, and I, I had a lot of early success, which just helped me ignore my own health all the more. It's a lot easier to ignore it when things are going well. Everyday life, I think things were mostly fine. There, was, there were some rough seasons, of course, but overall I pressed on. And then God gave us this vision for, to start something new. And, and I am, just as a side note, so thankful that God continues to call imperfect people. So God gave Alyssa and I this vision to launch a new church, to try to find a new way to express church, a church that would be missional and intellectual and sincere and authentic, a church where this kind of story could be shared openly and honestly without fear of judgment. So almost three years ago, Alyssa and I moved to Columbus to launch, a, to launch Central City Church, and my early success in ministry was swallowed up by the difficulty of church planning. If I had ever had a dark night of the soul, it was that first year, year and a half. And we made a lot of silly mistakes. For two people who both struggle with anxiety and depression, we took on too much. We had a newborn. We moved into a fixer-upper, into a dangerous, stress-inducing neighborhood. We worked to start a church and a community development organization that became Little Bottoms. And we did all of this as co-pastors, um, uh, husband and wife working side by side. Now, you know I struggle. I shared with you. I struggle with anxiety, relationships, and unexpected failures. Well, I had just set myself up for countless failures in ministry. That's the nature of starting anything new. And I moved into a new relationship status, not just husband and wife, but mother and father and uh, pastor and pastor, co-workers, co-visionaries. Well, we stumbled along. Some of you were invited into some of those darker moments. And uh, we worked on the house. We launched the church, and it was hard. And then when we launched and our attendance was less than we hoped for, it just hit at all of my insecurities. And I could go on about the challenges of launching Central City Church, but if I'm honest, they're no more than any other birth pains. I haven't had a child, obviously, but I was in the room when Alyssa did, and it's a fitting metaphor. New things don't come into the world easily. That could be expected, and it wasn't a struggle. It really wasn't the struggle that made this season of my life the dark night of my soul, but it, it was my own mental health. The difficulties of this season just made it impossible for me to hide those deeper struggles. I had much I needed to work through. I had issues of worthiness, fear of failure, fear of trusting people, and it was a hard season. I remember thinking more than once, God, where are you? I would yell it into the night and it just get swallowed up by the silence. I would ask God, if you're real and if you're here, why won't you fix this? You can fix it. I believe that. So why won't you? I knew God could fix this. And I wanted to believe that God would fix this, but I couldn't understand why God wouldn't fix it now. Just tell me it would get better tomorrow. Why won't it get better? We're one week away from December when the whole world begins to celebrate Christmas. But before we get there, we've been considering the world before Christmas arrived, before Christ was born, when it wasn't Christmas yet. And if you want to understand the world before Christmas, it's best summarized in this longing. God, things are not as they should be. Why? What are you going to do about it? When are you going to do something about it? 
Last week, we looked at the kingdom in person of David, and today I want to consider what happened after David. David, uh, after David, the people had many kings, but eventually the kingdom was overthrown, and the people were taken captives, and the cities were destroyed, and their land was demolished. It was a brutal place. And the people found themselves in the kind of season of life where God, where they cried out to God. They said, God, where are you? One of the, one of the most common uh, types of Old Testament passages quoted in the New Testament is the book of the prophets, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah. The prophets were quoted or referenced in the New Testament over 70 different times. Many of these stories of the prophets were leading up to, during, and after the fall of these kingdoms, when, when all would be lost. And, and they talk much of suffering and why it happens and what they should do about it. But there's this particular verse in the book of Jeremiah that stands out above the rest, and it stands out so much so that it's quoted in the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew. The Christmas story, like the time of the prophets, was a time of suffering. The people of Israel were still under foreign rule, and the King Herod was a bit of a monster. In the Christmas story, there's this brief story how throughout Bethlehem and the surrounding area, King Herod had hundreds of children killed. And in the gospel, in this moment of the story, when there was real suffering, Matthew quotes the prophet Jeremiah, says this, a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel reaping, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We've lost our children. So don't even try to tell me and to stop crying. Leave me to my mourning. Rachel was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin and was the true love of Jacob and thus is considered in some ways the mother of Israel. And Ramah is considered, according to tradition, her, her final play, resting place where, where Rachel ended up. So the prophet Jeremiah in the original context is depicting this image where a mother long gone is watching over her children from the grave and crying out for the suffering that they're enduring. And no matter how much you try, you can't stop her. She's not going to stop crying. Have you ever experienced something so painful, so hard, maybe so dark, that you refused to be comforted? I was talking with a friend, and he was experiencing real hurt, the kind of hurt that kind of gets logged down, lodged down in your heart and just sits there really deep, and nothing you do seems to make it go away. And he was, he was telling someone of this pain, and, and they said in response, they said, well, well, you just need to get over it. Sometimes, in some places and times, you do just need to get over it. But in this instance, and in many others, it wasn't something to just get over. I'm afraid that we are so uncomfortable with other people's suffering that sometimes we want them to get better, not for their sake, but for ours. I'm going to repeat that. I'm afraid that we're so uncomfortable with other people's suffering that sometimes we want them to get better, not because of their sake, but for ours. We tell them to get over it, we get better, get help, because we're so tired of their suffering. We're tired of it. We would be happier, our life would be easier if this person would just be better. Sometimes we need to give each other a hard word, but sometimes we need to be reminded that life doesn't get easier overnight. And to promise someone it will 
is often the wrong message. This is something that the prophet Jeremiah had to deal with. A few chapters before the verse of Rachel weeping, uh, weeping that wouldn't be comforted, there's this conversation between Jeremiah and a false prophet. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about false prophets. Uh, This is how Jesus describes them. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. A false prophet looks innocent like a sheep, but underneath they're well-intentioned. Their words can bite. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there uh, or your smartphones. We're going to have it on the screen as well. It's Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28, Jeremiah is in conversation with a false prophet by the name of Hananiah, and this is what Hananiah proclaims in the name of the Lord. It's starting with verse 2 of 28. It says this. This is Hananiah speaking. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. That's who's currently in sort of owning the, the people at the time. That's the foreign power in, in control. Within two years, two years, I will bring back this place, all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jericho and son of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. The people of Israel had been taken captive. They were prisoners of war. Their king had been taken captive. Many others had been taken captive. They they were no longer living in the promised land. And this prophet brings some really good news. He says a couple of things. First, he says, I will destroy the king of Babylon. I'm going to break the yoke. Second, he says, I'm going to bring back all the articles used in temple worship. So temple worship, unlike the worship we just experienced and are experiencing, it was all about the furniture. You had to have the right altar, the right candlestick, uh, the right special bowls for ceremonial washing. That was temple worship. And he says they were probably taken. Some of them were probably melted down and sold for the gold and silver that they were made from. But, but he says, this guy says, that we're going to get all of those articles back so we can worship in the temple again. And third, he says, we're going to get, it, uh, we're going to get our king back. And then all the other people who were exiled. And fourth, all of this is going to happen in just two years. In other words, this guy is telling the people that God is going to make everything just like it was, as if it never happened. And it'll happen soon. This represented the absolute ideal. What if whatever it is you're suffering or have suffered could just be fixed? If you're hurting, you would think this would be good news. If you were hurting, it would be great for someone to say, you know what, it's going to be, it's going to all be well tomorrow. But it would only be good news if it was true. Here's what Jeremiah had to say about it. Verse 5, then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. So Jeremiah is confronting the false prophet in front of everybody. He says, everyone's, he's like, listen, all of you, listen up. And he said this, amen, may the Lord do so. I love that. He's like, wouldn't it be great if all of this happened, just like he said. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. He's like, I'm not going to disagree with you. This is exactly what all of us want. It would be fantastic if everything you just said came true. And it's not bad to want it. It's not bad to hope for it. Hope can sustain us in very dark times. But, But could this prophet really make such a promise? It could happen, but could he guarantee it? And that's what prophets were doing. That's what he was doing when he's proclaiming this. He says, no, this is going to happen this way, and it's going to be fantastic. Could he guarantee that? See, this kind of promise is a dangerous one, because if it's true, it's fantastic. But if it's false, you're worse off than when you started. Oh, something told me it would be better by now, and it wasn't. 
Well, they spar back and forth a few verses, and then Jeremiah stops being polite, and he says in verse 15 this. He says, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Fake news that sounds good is the worst news. If you've ever suffered, if you've ever found yourself in a hard place and someone comes along and promises you it'll be all right when you know it won't, well, I can't think of a better metaphor than a wolf in sheep's clothing because it looks really nice on the surface, but that comment can devour us. False hope is the worst hope, and false news is the worst news. The hard reality was this. It would be nearly 70 years before the exiles would return. 70 years. That's a whole generation and a half. And when they did, it would still be under foreign rule. And for the next 400 plus years, Israel would be under foreign rule from the likes of the Greeks and then the Romans. And only then would deliverance come. But not like the light that washes the darkness out with a single flash, but like the light of a candle that just burns slowly, small and quiet. God would be born as a child, innocent, and at that point, unable to do anything to change the world. The light would enter quietly. 30 more years before Jesus would even begin his ministry. And even then, he had no intent to overthrow the Romans, but to establish a heavenly kingdom made up of normal people who love each other and God with all that they have. A quiet rebellion, a quiet kingdom of peaceful resistance, a community where there would be still great suffering, but there would be compassion for those who needed it, a community where there would still be loneliness, but there would be companionship for people who needed it, a community where there would still be death, even death of the innocents, which we read in the Christmas story, but a resurrection in life to come for all who wanted it. For those who get frustrated that Christmas comes earlier and earlier every year, let me say this. The first Christmas took a really long time. And for those who need it, who are hurting, who are alone, who are lost, this is a hard truth. I hope that you'll hear me when I say this, that there's a day when God will come and wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's hope. I'm not saying there isn't. All, all will be made well. And it, it, it might just take longer than we, we expect and longer than we think. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't things you can do right now to, to change the path that you're on. That Whatever you're struggling with or wrestling with, there's probably some really simple things that you can change in your life. Hard things and probably involve some hard truth, but there's things you could probably move towards getting better right now. But it probably won't get fixed right away either. If you, even now, find yourself in a dark night of the soul, I hope you find this truth in some way encouraging. It might take longer than you want it, but don't give up. I can't promise it'll get better right away. I can't promise it'll ever go away. But I can promise you, in the same way that Jesus promised, Jesus leaves his disciples with one promise. He sends them on mission in the Great Commission. He sends them on a mission, and he leaves them with a simple promise. And the promise isn't that life would be easy. The promise isn't that there wouldn't be suffering, illness, or hurt. It's that, and surely I will be with you always. I'd like to say that I left my darkness behind me. I'd like to say that God um, just showed up and, you know, turned the lights on. And, uh, but in reality, the light came slowly. And I don't think I've left it behind, uh, but I have learned to walk in the midst of it. And, and I'm learning to leave it behind. I'm learning little practices and disciplines and ways of thinking and living that, 
that are helping me address the lies that shoot through my head in my weakest moments. And I've learned these things from a lot of places. But, but if I'm honest, one of the biggest changes is me just laying aside my pride and admitting that I needed help and getting help from mentors and colleagues and even a counselor. This is how God brought light into my life. And, and sure, it might sound more spiritual for me to say, God can take your depression away if you just had more faith. If you, you wouldn't be anxious if you just prayed more. Come forward, and I'll lay hands on you and be healed. And you could be healed today if you just buy this anointed towel right now for four easy payments. That, that might be what you expect from a pastor, but let me just be very clear that good news isn't good news if it's not true. Now, I believe in healing, I do, and I believe in miracles, I absolutely do, but I think of them like Jeremiah thinks of the false prophet, amen, may it be so, that'd be great, I'd love for that to happen. But miracles, by definition, are the exception to the rule. So most of the time, they won't happen. That's what makes them miraculous when they do. So for the times that they don't, we need more than just fake good news. We need a community and support and resources that will sustain us through the hard stuff. And, and that's what we want this church to be about. The beginning of this sermon, I shared a little bit of my mental health journey, just a snapshot, and, and then we jumped into the passage and talked about suffering in a much more generic sense, but I do want to end by just talking about mental health in general, um, because this is something that we, uh, as a church, have kind of decided we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about, and we're going to spend some time doing some things about. So, so there's a couple things we want to do uh, as we move it, as we think towards 2020. This is one of the things we're going to focus on. First is this. We want to reduce the stigma of mental health. It does not make you less spiritual to have a counselor or to be on medication, period, hard stop, okay? It's just, I'm just saying that. I follow this Christian company that puts clever and justice-oriented messages on shirts and merchandise, and, uh, and then the profits go to missions. It's kind of a cool little company. Uh, one of the series they have is this. Uh, this was a version on a mug. They have shirts, too. <laughs> and it's true. And great stocking stuffer. If someone's already seen a therapist, don't give this as a hint. That's, you're not going to help anyone at that point, right? Not, but, but for the right person, it could be really fun. The wrong person, you could do a lot of damage. Um, we just want to remove the stigma. Second, we want to develop a list of, of resources and recommendations for those who are looking for a good counselor. Not just a resource, but a team of some sort that can help us navigate what it looks like to find the appropriate kind of help, uh, who could just walk with people. There are a lot of people in our community who are currently interested in seeing a counselor or were interested in conversations that I've had as I've kind of opened up a little bit about my own journey. Uh, but most of us, and this includes me, don't don't even know the questions asked. We don't know that we can shop around and, and tr until we find the right counselor. We're just, I mean, when I started, I just like felt like I had to get stuck with the person. That, no, like there's things you can do and questions you can ask, and, and we want to be able to provide that kind of conversation, that kind of resource um, to find the right support. Um, and we can do that as a church. There's some things we can't do as a church, but we can walk with people and help them, you know, ask the good questions and get in there. So that's the second thing. Put together a team, develop some resources. And the third one I'm really excited about, we're raising... Uh, this Christmas, we always do something special with the Christmas Eve offering. And this Christmas, our Christmas Eve offering is going to go to our mental health fund. We have uh, about $3,000 as a matching to the first 3000 that is given. So we hope to raise at least 6000 over the Christmas season. And it's going to go into a fund. And the same team is going to help figure out how to disperse it and how to track it. And we need someone who's good with numbers and maybe, you know, this sort of thing. But it's going to help with people who are either uninsured or underinsured who want to go who want to see a counselor, who want to see someone. 
Once again, I've chatted with people in our community, people who are connected to our community, and so many want to get help. And, but we're like, let's remove the stigma. And this is the big thing. Let's remove the stigma. And I'm like, okay, this is where I was at. Stigma gone. I don't have a problem seeing a counselor. Can't afford it. Right? And so I've met other people in our community who, because of, uh, of their life stage, it just is really hard. So uh, we've been able to, just candidly, my wife and I have been able to see a counselor because of the church's support financially. And that's why I was like, we need to be able to offer this to other people. That's one of the benefits of accountable reimbursements and stuff. But we need to, like, be able to expand it beyond that. And so we're going to put together this fund. So there's a couple ways you can participate if this is, any of this is of interest to you. The first one is you can give. You can go online and give. Um, you can text uh, to give. Uh, it's just like the normal text to give, but you add the letters MHF, Mental Health Fund, and then it, it allocates the text giving so it's very fancy technology these days. Uh, but you can give online, and we encourage you, if you're going to miss our Christmas Eve service, to consider giving ahead of time. Um, we would love to, uh, to do that. The other thing is you can join the team. We're looking for people who will help us compile that list and think through what this could look like. And we're in the very early stages of what it looks like. Um, it'll be a little bit of a commitment up front, but as it gets rolling, it, it really would probably uh, be pretty simple. So if you're not serving already, if you're not serving already, or if you have capacity to serve a little bit more, um, but mostly, if you're not serving already, and this is something that has struck a chord with you, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what it would look like to participate with this. I'm going to invite the band to come up and get ready for our closing song. And as I do, I invite you into a reflection. There are people in my life uh, who I know have had, uh, who would say candidly to me, you know, I've not struggled with a lot of stuff. I've had it pretty easy. And then there's people in my life who are just dealing with some, we live across the spectrum. And one of the things that can bind us together, whether this is something that you connect with or whether it's something like, I don't understand this experience, the thing that can build us together is compassion. The word for compassion simply means to suffer alongside, the Greek word, to suffer alongside, to come alongside and to be with somebody, whatever it is their experience, open-handed, walk with them. 2020, as we move uh, into 2020 as a church, we want to be a church known for compassion, what it means to care for one another, what it means to love one another. Uh, we do missions really good. Um, we do it well. Uh, we've been a focus from the beginning. Uh, Little Bottoms is just the beginning for that. But our missions will only be as healthy as we are. So we're going to try to find ways to support one another. And I'm open to what you think that might look like. Will you please stand with me as we pray? God, we come before you as broken people in need of your grace. We give you thanks for the ways in which you work in strange and mysterious ways. We give you thanks for the miracles in our midst when they happen. We're not jealous. We're not upset. We're just thankful. Lord, we're also thankful for the community that sustains us, your spirit who sustains us when we feel that miracles have run short. Help us to be that kind of community brought together by your spirit in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.